0: This podcast is brought to you by Equus Grooming Products. They're the finest quality available human-grade cosmetic ingredients, not industrial-grade, and they're backed by a 100% money-back guarantee.
1: I love these products. I use them all the time. Karen, who, who do we have on today?
0: We have a very special guest, Dr. Jared Moss. He is the owner of Marina Veterinary Center, where I work five days a week. That poor guy has to work with me five days a week, and we're, he's he's coming up next. But first, we have a question from a listener, and you know how much we love, love, love questions.
1: So if you want your question answered, email Doc docandjoeyunleashed at gmail.com, and we will answer your question. Okay, so I have um, Sarah here from Washington, and her boyfriend's getting a little bit upset because he didn't want a cat. She brought a cat into the household. Now the cat is vomiting hairballs all over. And he's finding it disgusting. And she doesn't know what to do about um, solving this problem.
0: Great question. Hairball and cats. Hairballs are 100% preventable in cats, Joey. If you have a cat. And I'll tell you how. In the wild, it's natural for them because they would be eating their prey, right? And they would be eating gross stuff. They would be ingesting a lot of hair, right? And they would vomit that up t- because you know that they can have a life-threatening obstruction with a hairball. I've, I've had to open cats up and surgically remove hairball impaction. So with domesticated cats, since they're not hunting their prey, uh, they groom themselves a lot. And they will get hairballs because if you're not brushing your cat every single day, especially some cats that have a lot of hair, medium and long haired cats, that hair is gonna go in their stomach and they're gonna vomit. I know I have cats, and if I don't brush them, they get a hairball.
1: So it's non-digestible, obviously.
0: It's yeah, they're not gonna it's I mean a little bit'll pass, a little bit'll pass. Um, but no, it's caustic. It's really, you know, irritating to the stomach wall. And so what I tell Penrose, and you know, like my cats love the grooming ritual I do. They love to be brushed. I sing a little song and I have, I think I asked you about this. Remember I asked you about, I got the cat Furminator. It's a brush that's a de-shedding tool. And I said, yeah, I think I'm making my cat bald, Joey. How much should I be brushing my cat? And you go, well, until you're not getting any more hair.
1: No, no, no. Hold on. I, I did, did say that. Say? What but did you what, say? What did you say? What me? I said is you want to be able to run your hand down the cat gotcha. when you get no more hair on your hand, because if if somebody. Because the tool will take it right down to the skin. (laughs) I'm still getting hair. Okay, now I'm getting blood. Now I'm getting blood and skin.
0: (laughs) But I'll tell you, since we talked about that, I used to use a different brush, but I love the Furminator shedding tool for cats because it pulls the undercoat. Can you explain what an undercoat is, Joey?
1: Well, first thing I want to say, because a lot of people, um, and, and Furminator is such a good tool that it actually almost renamed um what the uh, process is, but the process is carding, okay, so that's what you're doing you're carding and when 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 you when when you actually um card through a coat and de-shed it, um what happens is is you're taking out the the coat that's ready to, that's ready to come out that's ready to come out. so like if you got a double coat, you have a soft down underneath and then you have a top coat that protects a picture like a pillowcase. If I rip my pillowcase open, I get all that goose, all that down, okay? If that gets, there's no protection there. But when I have the case on it, I can put my head down and it's protection. So picture your outer coat is protection, your undercoat is down. So at times, you have to remove the dead, you know, the dead shedding coat. So when you go through with a furminator, and you just do it lightly, it's going to help remove that. And it's also going to assist in moving the stuff that's getting ready to come out. So then you're going to have new healthy growth that's going to come out, which is going to be more vibrant. You're going to have less shedding in your home. Now, I want to say this because this is really important. A lot of people like to shave their pets because they think that they're doing justice. You're not doing justice. Shedding is a natural process, and it, you, you, your pet will shed no matter how short it is. The problem is is you just recreated something that sheds such short hair That it gets caught in your furniture and you don't see it until it's so built up and you say, oh my God, look at this and you'll never get it out. So to be quite honest with you, just go through the natural process of brushing and combing and let it shed. But if I brush and comb, I can reduce it significantly. And you can even get a, if you've got a shorter cat, you can get a rubber mitt. They sell them. They're real cheap. You go to your local pet store and it mimics petting the cat. You just put it on, you pet the cat, you pet the pet you pet the cat, and all of a sudden you got a whole garbage, you know, um, bag full of hair.
0: It's amazing how much undercoat you will pull out of a cat. And isn't there times of the year that they shed more, Joey? What are the seasons? It's
1: going to depend on, on, on where you're at. Where, where you are in California, your season really doesn't change all that much, but... You know, it's the artificial seasons more than anything. And what do I mean by an artificial season? When the heat goes on in your home, okay, and especially the forced hot air heat, It dries out our skin, and it's going to do the same thing to your pet. So your cat is going to shed a lot more. But during, mainly during fall and spring is you're going to see the most shedding happening because it's preparing themselves for either the warm weather or the cold weather. Um, But they're going to shed all year round. But that's where you're going to see the most. But the artificial shedding is definitely the worst. When, When you're switching over from air conditioning to heat... It's going to shed. It's going to shed like mad.
0: Yeah. And like I said, I I mean, cats, start them young if you can. Because I know some people say my cat tries to bite me when I brush them. Because you have to get them used to that. Like that sensation. They get overly stimulated and then they attack you. So... If you have a kitten, start brushing them now. Joey said, too, you have the mitts, you body rubbings. I used to do body rubbings with, with Nathan. I had two mitts, and I would just just rub them. They, my cats love to be groomed. And here I am. It's soothing. It's soothing. I'm talking to them. It's like a massage. And all that hair is now in my mitt or the comb. Not the cat, not the couch, not the floor. And it's so simple. It's a preventative. You're not gonna have hairballs if you brush the cat every day. And if the cat won't let you brush it initially, go get some treats. Like they make these anaba churu treats, these, like these little pasty sticks. Give them that, brush them a few minutes. good kitty, good kitty. And then do it again, a little bit longer. You can train any cat to like to be brushed. So don't give your cat up. You can learn to manage the hairball and live with the cat. It's not gonna vomit it on your $5,000 Italian white sofa. The one and only Dr. Jared Moss. Welcome, Dr. Moss. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. So I'm going to
1: interrupt right away, Dr. Moss. So <laughs> what, what is it like working with this beautiful, crazy, crazy um, veterinarian?
2: Uh, I, well, <laughs> 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 working with Dr. Halligan, it's a treat. It's very special because I don't know that I met anyone with the kind of energy she has. And she's just so passionate about what she does. And she cares so much about the people we work with and the animals that we care for. It's really special. And I enjoy it. That's good.
0: But let's talk about you. So, Dr. Moss, please, uh, you are our honored guest. I'd like for you to like tell us, one, where you grew up, two, what motivated you to be a vet and what vet school you went to.
2: I was born in, uh, on the East Coast. I was born in Long Island, New York, but I was raised in um, Southern Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, when, when I think about why I became a vet, I don't know that I had a lot of choice in the matter. Um, my path to becoming a vet was a little different than a lot of people. Um, I hear a lot of stories of people caring for animals and always wanting to be a vet since they were a child. That just wasn't my story. When, when I was young, my oldest memories are my parents telling my brother and I, you're either going to be a doctor or a lawyer. And that's pretty much how it was. Um, we were either going to be doctors or lawyers. I didn't know which one. Um, there wasn't much question about that. Um, by the time I got to college, I didn't know if I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer, but I did have a passion for biology and science. And I didn't like to argue. Um, my brother, on the other hand, wasn't very good at science and did like to argue. And he went to law school. So that kind of okay. left me uh, with knowing <laughs> I had to go and be a doctor. I didn't know what kind of doctor, but you know that led me to some choices that got me into veterinary school. And I eventually attended Colorado State in Fort Collins, Colorado.
0: Were your parents doctors and lawyers?
2: No, they were not. And that's why it was so important to them that that's what we became. Um, I don't regret becoming a veterinarian. I love what I do. But uh, I never really had much say in it when I think about it.
0: Wow. Yeah, Joey, were you? Did you have parents that were a little, you know, kind of trying to guide you? Like that, or were you... Yeah, they
1: said, get out of the house and ride your bike um, because I'm sick of you hanging around the house. Um, No, Um, to be honest with you, we were a very poor family, so um, college um, was out of the question. And um, I actually... Almost had a wrestling scholarship, um, but my grades were so bad in school that I lost the scholarship. So <laughs> unfortunately, uh-huh. I didn't follow the same path um, that that, that, um, that you did, doc, but um you know it all ended up to be okay anyway.
0: <laughs> and Dr. Moss, did you play any sports in high school or college?
2: I did I, I played I played a lot of sports, but I really focused on baseball and I played baseball in high school. Um, But I I knew I wasn't good enough to pursue that. So I started focusing on school late in high school. But I I still love baseball. I teach baseball. I teach uh, my kids. I coach my kids' uh, baseball teams, and I get a lot of joy out of that.
0: And how many kids do you have?
2: I have three kids, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. So they keep me pretty busy. Along with uh, being a veterinarian, which is my second job.
0: Yes, and I'm telling you, the vet, the vet, the pets out there are uh, happy that your parents insisted on you being a doctor. Because I will say, bar you're probably one of the smartest, best diagnosticians that I've worked with, and I've worked with a lot of veterinarians. So, I, I'm animals are happy that you. You went to Colorado vet school, for sure. I
2: I appreciate that. So hold
1: on, I gotta ask. In layman's term, um, di- what was that word that you used? Um,
0: Sorry. That's
1: okay. That's okay. Um, I, I...
0: see. I'm getting doctor because yes. I have Doctor Moss on. Oh no. So so Uh-oh. so so
1: so Tony, what, so what what was that? What was that word that you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I said diagnostician, which means that so he diagnoses doc- problems. Yes, he is so good with cases that other doctors can't figure out i would send him cases from uh, when i was doing lucy pet and and he always figures it out and i i think he enjoys having these complicated cases because he has one of those he's the kid we hated in school (laughs) because he has like you know that he he ruined the curve he has like the photographic memory you know hears it once it sticks in Um, But we're lucky that people like that went to vet school because because they really are, um, it's hard to diagnose, right, Dr. Moss?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Dr. Halligan embellishes a little bit and um, it's, what we do is not easy. And especially when we see more complex cases like we do at our practice, Dr. Halligan tends to embellish a little bit.
0: No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> no, I'm saying I really believe that. And I've worked for what? Thirty three years. Um, and yeah, and I do. I love working with you because I, I feel like it's really nice to have a vet that uh, you know, I can refer a case to or help me with cases because the animals don't talk to us, and sometimes the people don't know what's going on?
1: Well, I guess as, you know, the, the non-vet here on this um, call right now um, really appreciates that because there was a situation once that, that I had, and I really needed um Doc Halligan's um advice on. And Karen said immediately you need to get a second opinion and i have someone you know thank god for 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 a veterinarian that that um you know can diagnose problems
2: yeah i mean it's it's important to consider that there are you know almost as many veterinary specialties as there are in human medicine and people's range of experience and expertise vary greatly so I think in in most situations, the more people you can get involved to think about a situation, the better it's always going to be. And that's one reason why I love working with Dr. Halligan and the other doctor that works at our practice is because, you know, they fill in my deficiencies and vice versa. And um, in hopes of always providing the best care for every patient. Do you guys always
1: agree or when you have a bunch of veterinarians in a room, is there a lot of heated discussion of, you know, of, you know, I don't I I don't agree with you type thing. And, and you know, how do we how do we proceed? And then you come to a, you know, uniform decision or is, does it not work that way?
2: I mean, I think I think that on a very basic level, we share very similar um, medical principles. We believe in high quality care. We believe in principles of pain control. And um, I think in general, we agree on most things or we wouldn't work well together. Now, medicine is not black and white and that's true in human medicine and veterinary medicine. Um, So there are lots of ways to approach sick patients or even healthy patients. There are lots of ways to approach, you know, preventative care and senior care and we do differ on a, a lot of the things we do. And that's what I love about working with other veterinarians because Dr. Halligan's always reminding me of things that maybe I haven't thought about or uh, or maybe aren't up to date on. And I, I hope vice versa. And I think that's the beauty of working with lots of people. But in general, I think we agree on most things. But if we don't... I. I think we respect each other enough to to make that uh, open, but I don't. I can't remember a situation where we just disagreed completely about a case. I don't know that that's that's happened.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny, Doctor Moss. Um, when did you graduate? Two
2: thousand and six.
0: Okay, and I was nineteen eighty nine. See, and so it's true. We do have the same philosophy, and we do practice. Similarly, but what's cool about Dr. Moss and why he's special um, Another reason I really wanted to have him on and why I love to work at Marina Vet Center Is that he has taken it upon himself to learn These uh, other procedures that we would normally have to refer animals out to And now especially with COVID, no one has any money and, you know, it's just a godsend because I'm, I'm going to try to not get too technical, but Dr. Moss does chemotherapy for a patient with cancer. He does endoscopy, which is a scope that they go into the orifices and the stomach, intestine, nose to take things out so you don't have to have surgery. He does ultrasound. People know what that is, but not only just that tummy, but also the chest for the heart. So. I mean, we don't have to send patients out, whereas other hospitals have to refer, and that means, uh, and so Dr. Moss, tell me, because you're so unique with that, how did you fall into that, um, you know, learning to, because I know you didn't, you weren't probably taught that in vet school, right?
2: This might be a fairly controversial topic, but uh, I think an overwhelming majority of veterinarians think that veterinary colleges, while they're doing an amazing job teaching veterinary students um, medicine, they're also teaching them that they need to send away any complicated cases to specialists, people with special training and advanced skills. And while in principle, I agree with that, um, and that's similar to human medicine, you know, when you need advanced treatments, you go to a specialist in human medicine. I think that there are some problems with that um, and, and some ways that were very different from human medicine. And for one is the insurance, you know, 90% of Americans have health insurance. Um, if we look at pets, I think 98% of pets do not have health insurance. And what that means is, um, people have to pay out of pocket And if you're forced to see a specialist for any complicated case, it becomes very difficult because it's very expensive. Um, That's something that's always been a problem for me, and I've always wanted to remedy that. And learning how to do things that only specialists do um, has allowed me to offer advanced diagnostics, advanced Um, treatments and therapies that a lot of people would never have access to. Um, So I get a lot of uh, joy in providing those kinds of things to people who would never be able to either go to a specialist financially or geographically uh, or for whatever reason. I mean, some people just don't live close enough to a specialist or some people can never afford to go to a specialist or... There are so few specialists and such a long wait time. It might take you weeks and weeks to get into a specialist, but at our practice, you know, we're available to them all the time and you know, we we offer these services at a reasonable price and if and if the price isn't reasonable, we're very likely to work with them to make it reasonable. Um, So that was one of my guiding factors to starting to develop skills that most general practitioners don't have. And we have a very unique facility. We're a general veterinary hospital. So we're like a family medicine hospital, yet we do all these things that only specialty hospitals do. So it is a very unique situation. And that's part of why I love it.
0: And what's amazing is, that the clients, especially now with COVID, Joey, they the emergency practices and specialty practices, they're backlogged. They can't see these animals. You know what they're telling them? Don't come in unless your pet's dying. Your dog ate a bone and it's going to get stuck and they're going to tell you, uh, don't come in until it's dying. Well, guess what? Dr. Moss sedates it, uses a scope, pulls it out, saves them money, they don't have to open the dog and and they're they're so grateful. and I don't think people realize that it's because of the person he is. I've really never met a vet like him and I think it's because he's gifted, you know uh, mentally uh, with that and so he has the confidence to go and and has taught himself how to do some of these more sophisticated things and it's really fun to be able to watch some of the endoscopies where he's gone in. And what are some of the strangest things that you've taken out of dogs' stomachs or intestines or noses?
2: Yeah. I I, I mean, a lot of it, I think, was opportunity and necessity coming together. You know, I was living in Montana and practicing in a, a relatively rural community. And There wasn't a week that would go by that I wouldn't have to take a dog or a cat to surgery because it ingested a rock or a bone or a stick. Something that they have more access to in a rural community than, say, Los Angeles where we live. Um, So I was becoming very proficient at gastrointestinal surgery, right? Surgery of the stomach and intestines. But I started asking myself, isn't there an easier way? I mean, we take a dog to surgery and open up its stomach. There's lots of risks um, it's a long surgery. It's expensive surgery, and there's a intensive care recovery period for something that seems pretty simple. Um, if you had an endoscope, uh, a, a camera that you could put down into the stomach, uh, you know, just thinking about all these cases I was doing, I decided to buy an endoscope. And everyone told me, "Why would you buy an endoscope? You're not a specialist. You can't do these special procedures." And I said, "Why not?" Uh, and they said, well, are you going to go to a teaching hospital and have a specialist train you? And, and I said, well, is it, like, is it like taking a rocket to the moon? Like, is this something I can learn myself? So I thought maybe it was, and maybe I would be wrong. I mean, I, I purchased every book I could find. I read everything I could read on the subject. I started practicing on healthy animals that were under anesthesia for other reasons, like maybe a, a spay or a neuter. And then, I, you know, I started getting comfortable doing this procedure. I, I took classes, I went to continuing education, and I started doing it. And what I found was that all these animals that were coming in with foreign objects in their stomach and intestines, I could very easily put a camera down there, use my instruments to grab these things, remove them from the stomach, I'd be done in five to 10 minutes, there'd be no surgery, the animal would go home within the hour, no recovery period, and I'd save these people money. For me, it was a no brainer. And, you know, once I discovered that I could do this, and I could help these animals, you know, I don't think I took another animal to surgery uh, for a foreign object in their stomach. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, I, I know I didn't get to to your question, Uh, you know, there was one time when, um, I removed three pairs of panties from a dog's stomach. Um, you know, and it took me five minutes. I wasn't expecting, we didn't know what was in there, but something was in there. The dog was vomiting. There was something in his stomach. Any other vet in the entire state would have taken him to surgery and cut his stomach open. We put a camera down there and said, this looks like cloth. We remove three pieces of cloth. We lay them out. Their panties, but the dog goes home in thirty minutes, and you know, after that, I never cut a dog's stomach open again. I don't. I think I've done maybe one in four or five. See, years. I,
1: and I heard the backstory on that. The woman found out that none of those panties were hers. <laughs> um, the, the, the the pet owner. <laughs>
2: It's true. That's a different podcast. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's true.
1: That's so cool because I can only imagine um you probably got a million stories, um, of how many pets that you were able to save because you were able to diagnose and execute all within the same turnaround time, um, instead of, you know, having to send that that pet to to a specialist or the people because this r- happened to somebody um a client of a client of of one of my groomers and 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 the dog ended up passing because they couldn't afford um the surgery because the the it was um an, an an Amstaff mix, you know, one of those pit bulls that swallow everything, swallowed something and um, because of the surgery that that it needed, it couldn't couldn't afford it. Um and maybe if they would have had a veterinarian that had your expertise and equipment and all that, it could have been something that could have been affordable. Maybe not, I don't know. But and it could have been removed without the extensive surgery. So that's you know, that that I'm
2: intrigued by that. I mean, when I was living in Montana, I think there might be one specialist in the entire state. There's just not very many specialists. If 98% of them do not have insurance, yeah, I mean, um, you know. Yeah. I remember in Montana, uh, a, a patient would come to me with lymphoma, right? Which is a, a devastating cancer for a patient. And we're taught to refer them to an oncologist, a, a cancer specialist. And what everyone in Montana does is they say, okay, you have to drive to Washington or Colorado to seek treatment at a veterinary teaching hospital. Well, guess what? I mean, this is rural Man- Montana. No one's going to drive 12 hours. They're not going to get the time off of work and they're not going to be able to afford the treatment at a veterinary teaching hospital. So I started doing chemotherapy. I was, I was the local. Uh, oncologist. And like I said, it was opportunity and necessity. I couldn't let these patients just go home and die without treatment. I wasn't a board certified specialist, but I could learn to do uh, oncology in a way that would help patients. And and that's how some of these things developed for me out of um, necessity. That's great. That really is great.
0: We have had so many puppies coming in because of the pandemic and and it's true you know financial euthanasia is is a real situation still in in veterinary medicine and like can you imagine like he's saying in these uh backward towns that they don't have access so uh so it's just it's it's wonderful to be able to share this podcast so that pet owners can understand what the difference is what what Different practices can offer because there's a lot of, wouldn't you say, Dr. Moss? Confusion with specialists, emergency hospitals, and just in general, like what a boarded surgeon is versus a boarded oncologist versus.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion about what veterinarians can and can't do and what they should be yeah. doing. I think you know communication is is just the most important thing for us to be able to communicate to our clients clients to communicate their needs and desires to us. Uh, You know, there's a a big problem, like Dr. Halligan says right now, with this pandemic is that emergency centers are sending people away, specialists are booked out for months and months, and sick patients are not getting the treatment they need. I guess for me, if I could say, you know, if, if I could convince anyone to do anything, it would be for more general practitioners to learn skills that would improve the care of their patients that maybe they thought they couldn't or shouldn't be doing. Um, I think that there's a lot that general practitioners can do. And I mean, take it for me, if I can learn some of these things, you know, anyone can learn them. You know, we were having just clients after clients come in with dogs who have, you know, abnormal heart sounds. We call them heart murmurs, you know, new abnormal heart sounds. And these are patients who need to be evaluated. If this was you or I and you went to your doctor and he heard an abnormal heart sound, you would have blood work, EKG, you'd have an ultrasound of your heart. And you tell these people that they need that and they want to do it. But the cardiologist, the specialist can't see them for four months. And when he does see them, it's too expensive for them. They can't afford it. So, you know. Why can't general practitioners help them do that ultrasound of the heart, you know, diagnose heart disease? I mean, that's what we do. And I I, I want to encourage more people to do I that. I think there's
0: going to be a shift. I mean, I'm the old lady here, right? Practicing for 33 years. And we started out the way Dr. Moss was. We didn't have uh, access to being able to take them to emergency. So you had to figure it out. and And then all of a sudden, we got all these specialty practices, and and you were worried about being sued if you didn't send them. There was just this big shift. You got to send everything to the people that are the best. Yes, they're expensive, but they're the best. And you watch, it's going to shift back like it should. There There is a need for emergency and specialty practices for some cases that we wouldn't want to keep in the hospital, right? But... But I think you're like, Dr. Martin, there's going to be a shift because people can't afford it and, and, there, and there just aren't enough veterinarians to accommodate the, the tremendous need right now because pets are living to be in the late teens now.
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there was a huge push and all these specialists came out with their board certifications and we got to send everything to them. And I think that it is coming back to general practitioners now. You have to be able to handle some of these cases. And there's a lot of reasons if it's there's not enough specialists, there's a boom in the pet population, the pandemic. Also, I think something that we need to consider is that the majority of specialty hospitals now are owned by corporate entities. They're owned by Wall Street, private investment, private equity groups, and there's there's not a doubt in anyone's mind that they have different motivations than the small business owner who's you know knows everyone in the neighborhood and has been there for 20 years you know these are these are corporate run hospitals who have you know one thing in mind and that's profits so i think that is stimulating some of the shift as well if not it should be
1: so dealing with the fires that are going on in on the west coast um are you guys seeing a um any, any like I don't know like like breathing problems and what are you guys seeing out there that for pets coming in that are being affected by all the smoke?
2: Yeah, breathing problems, respiratory illnesses. I think we're seeing more respiratory illnesses than I've ever seen uh, in my career here in Southern California. And you know there was a time when the pandemic started and the roads were clear and the air was clean. Right. And we're like, wow, it's so clean. There's no smog. And then the fires hit and the air quality has been so bad. People, even with their masks are suffering. Dogs and cats are suffering. We're just seeing a lot of what we would call inflammatory airway disease or bronchitis, inflammation of the airways from all the smoke particles. That's a big thing that that we're seeing. Are these life threatening to the to the to the pets? Absolutely. I mean, just like, you know, the CDC says, you know, the air quality is poor for sensitive people. You know, be careful if you're sensitive. There are animals with sensitivities, just like people. You know, there are animals with pre-existing breathing problems. Um, Here's a perfect example. Those, Those dogs with the smushed faces, bulldogs, pugs, French bulldogs, they have trouble breathing as it is. Put them out in a, you know, an environment with smoke, allergies. Um, it can it can cause a lot of problems with their respiratory tract.
0: And I'm going to second what Dr. Moss said. I have never treated so many lower airway diseases in my life than we have just recently. And also, animals' lungs are smaller than ours, so I think that also. You know, the concentration that's getting in there, it's affecting them more because their lung volume is, tidal volume is smaller. Um, And luckily, we have good medication um, and, you know, to be able to hopefully treat them. But I know that they're saying, my brother is a fireman, that the lung disease that humans are getting, they will have two years out repercussions from the damage to the lungs from the fires and the pollutants, two years out. Mm -hmm.
2: yeah we probably have no idea what kind of damage we're doing i've seen situations where um, during the wildfires people bring their dogs in and the owners have n95 masks and they were at the park playing ball with their dog i mean the dog's breathing the same air and those dogs are struggling to breathe so we do have to use some common sense but we're absolutely seeing a side effect.
0: And uh, Dr. Mosh, you also treat exotics too, because I've seen chickens, rabbits, some uh, funny-looking creatures coming into Marina (laughs) Vet.
2: Well, I lived in Montana for a while, and my wife loves chickens, so I just, by default, became her chicken vet.
1: <laughs> we have a sponsor, Equus, that has a coat spray, and it's funny because I'm looking at it, and it says great for chickens, too. So, you know, this is, segues right right in. The, the, premier, the premier spray is good for chickens, too.
0: Yes, yeah, so pet owners can go to equus.com, E-Q-Y-S-S.com. And plug in Doc H, and you're going to get how much of a discount, Joey?
1: Believe it. Actually, I know. It's 15%.
0: That's right. That's right. So, and especially, hey, if you have chickens, you can use it on yourself. Obviously, your dogs and cats. It's a great product.
2: And then we had a friend right down the road from us who had 80 chickens, and I became her chicken vet. And then, you know, I, I... there are no – there aren't any chicken vets, specialists, specialists in Montana or you know here either. So when people have animals that need help, I'm always willing to help them. I mean when I was in Montana, um, one of my uh, client's chickens swallowed um, a metal screw. Chickens are not the brightest animals on earth. They'll eat anything. So this chicken got really, really sick from metal toxicity because it swallowed a, a screw and it was stuck in its crop, like its first stomach area. And we could see it on the x-ray. And we found out that he had a metal toxicity. So the metal was causing all the nutrients and um, electrolytes to be off. And that chicken was dying. And, you know, this is a A chicken you can buy at the feed store for $15 in Montana. But to this woman, this was her pet. She loved this chicken. So what did we do? I wasn't going to do surgery on this chicken's crop. That's a complicated surgery. That's beyond my expertise. I put a camera down there. I put my scope down there. I grabbed the screw and I pulled it out. And that chicken survived. I mean... I feel like I had to, if I didn't do that, she would have lost her pet, regardless of what that pet cost her. I mean, that's her beloved pet. To answer your question, I'll see almost anything. Um, I know my limits, but I, you know, I'm there for people when they need me.
0: Yes. Well, Dr. Moss, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And I will say that I, I originally, I was so excited when we, we got the podcast, I go, Dr. Moss, I want you to be on. And he's all, why don't you guys do a few first? <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I'm glad <laughs> we did. It was good advice because Joey Joey, and I have learned, um, you know, how to uh, how to be better hosts. And we just love having guests on like you that I think really do give great information. Tell everybody how they can bring their pets to you.
2: Well, um, we have a practice in Marina Del Rey. It's called Marina Veterinary Center. You know, we're there to help, you know, veterinarians in the area that need special diagnostics. We're there to help, you know, families. So you can find us on the web, marinavet.com.
0: All right. Well, thank you for taking your time.
2: Okay. Thank you. Take care. Now Doc Halligan's Medical Minute.
0: Early morning appointments can save you money. If your pet requires sedation or general anesthesia, an early morning appointment may allow sufficient recovery time to avoid the expense of overnight hospitalization. Now, if there aren't morning appointments available, ask if you can drop your pet off. This way, we can see them early and do any kind of treatment that we need to do to avoid having to send you to the emergency clinic. You also want to avoid feeding your pet prior to coming to the clinic in case we need to sedate them, do endoscopy, or even draw a blood sample. You also should try not to let your pet go potty before coming in because we may need to get a urine or stool sample. If your pet poops or pees, you can bring that along. Also if your pet ingested something, bring the substance it ingested. Take video. Get as much information to your vet as possible so we can make a diagnosis quickly and save you money.